It's the first show of calendar 2014 for Baseball HQ Radio. Or perhaps I should say, the first show of calendar 2014 for the best fantasy sports podcast of the year. Find out more next on Baseball HQ Radio. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for January 17th. It's actually show number two of the 2014 fantasy baseball season. You'll remember show number one was our roundtable at the end of December. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and let me explain that comment about the best fantasy sports podcast of the year. Ordinarily, modesty alone would prevent us from saying that, but every year the Fantasy Sports Trade Association gives out its industry awards, and I'm proud to report that Baseball HQ Radio was honored last week as the best fantasy sports podcast of 2013. I'll do my acceptance speech at the end of this show so you can skip it more easily. In this edition of the podcast, we have three guys who really helped make our show as successful as it is. Leading off, Harold Nichols will have news and analysis from the National League. Then Jock Thompson has news from the American League. And a little later on, it'll be our first Talk with Todd for the season with Todd Zola, covering why he won't be drafting Bryce Harper as high as Bryce Harper's been going in some drafts, as well as the ongoing migration of pitchers into the higher slots at drafts, and much more. It is another big show, so thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We had a pitcher hurt himself by tripping over his dog. We gotta talk some baseball or obedience training. And to start us off, it is our National League News Report and our longtime beat reporter, Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to the show and congratulations on our podcast win. Well, thanks, Patrick. It's a, it's a nice honor for us, and I'm very glad to be a part of the show. Not just a part of it, Nick, but a really big and important part. It's always been a pleasure having you on the show, and I'm glad we're going to be able to do it again this year. And what a year it is. We kick off with a contract that makes Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers the wealthiest baseball pitcher in history. Seven years, $30 million bucks a year, and that in counts the opt-out clause. He can opt out of the contract after five years and make himself even richer. A gigantic contract, very definitely. And, you know, but you look at what Clayton Carcero has done over the past uh, the past uh, six seasons, and he probably deserves that. I mean, here's a guy that's uh, that's still young, uh, but as I had an ERA below three since 2009, and uh, last year an ERA below two. So, I mean, certainly he has put up the numbers that suggest he's a very consistent starting pitcher, a very durable starting pitcher. And the thing you always worry about with a pitcher is that he's got to get hurt one year into the contract, and you've got uh, you've got a real uh, boondoggle on your hands. But Kershaw has shown durability. He's shown consistency. And uh, certainly a, a top fantasy pick, I think. Uh, the only thing I think I would be cautious of, last year's 1.83 ERA is probably not going to happen again. I mean, that was uh, – uh, that's a little too low. His ex-ERA was, uh, was at uh, 2.93. Uh, he's, generally, uh, he's generally pitched better than his ex-ERA. But I would count on an ERA around 2.5 instead of uh, below 2. But uh, certainly a phenomenal pitcher. But that's the interesting part about a guy like Kershaw, Nick. When you're sitting at the draft table and you've got two pitchers whose expected ERAs are around 3 or 3.1 or whatever, and you think Kershaw is one of them and the other guy is whoever the other guy is, you have to look at the upside when you're making the decision which guy you want to bid on. And Kershaw, you know, you, you don't want to say you expect he's going to throw a 2 ERA or a 1.9. But you have to believe that it's possible because he's done it before. That's right. He's done it before. He's uh, he's consistently outpitched that uh, that XERA. So yeah, uh, definitely. If you're looking at an, X, an ERA around 2.9, there's upside from that for Kershaw. Yeah. On the flip side of the, how much you would be willing to pay at a rotisserie auction for Kershaw, you can't go the way of the Dodgers, of course, because they have no top limit on what they're willing to pay for a total payroll. And of course, we're we're limited to our 260 bucks. There you go. <laughs> 
Over uh, in Arizona, Josh Colmenter had a pretty decent year last year as a relief pitcher after he left the rotation. Now he's signed a two-year deal with the Diamondbacks, about $2.5 bucks. That's not bad money for a relief pitcher. But what does it say about him as a fantasy prospect? Well, you know, Josh, Josh Colmenter is a nice kind of, I think, under-the-radar sort of fantasy prospect to take a look at. Here's a guy that was, uh, that was starting in 2011, uh, started uh, most of the time in 2012, got shifted to the bullpen last year. Appeared in 49 games, pitched 92 innings, so pitching in uh, in sort of long and middle relief. 3.13 ERA. Uh, so that that all looks very very good. He certainly had a good season. Now there's some there's some things to be cautious about. I think with uh, with Josh Colmetter. I mean, we're looking at a guy who's got an 87 mile an hour fastball. Uh, still gets a, a pretty good DOM rate, 8.3 DOM rate. In spite of that, good swinging strike rate. Uh, the only hesitation I have on Josh Colmater is a 4.05 XERA. So there's some downside there, but here's a guy you can probably get for a buck at the end of the draft who might produce a uh, an ERA below 3.5 uh, and get you about to almost 100 innings. So, And and in doing that, in pitching in middle relief, uh, he's going to pick up some, some vulture wins. So uh, some, something, someone definitely to look at, and I think a good contract for the Diamondbacks. Now, you mentioned that he has a solid dom rate, uh, over eight strikeouts per nine innings, which is uh, which is very good, and yet his uh, expected ERA is up around four. What's the problem here with Josh Colmenter? Guys with high strikeouts tend to have lower XERAs. I think the thing you've got to be careful of with Josh Colmenter is a 47% fly ball rate, and of course in Arizona that could lead to problems. It hasn't so far. 0.8 home runs per nine last year, 7% home run per fly, but certainly there is a, there's a little bit of danger there, I think, in that uh in that particular metric. Um, also, control is not as good as you might expect. Walking about three guys per nine innings uh, with this high dom, that st- keeps his command ratio in an area where we're comfortable with it. Uh, but his control is it could, be a, could be a problem, although I, I should mention that 3.2 control from last season was the highest he's had in the major leagues. Over in Philadelphia, Nick, Dominic Brown had the breakthrough year that people have been waiting for for a while now. And that's raised a lot of questions about how do we look at him this year? Is he going to be a crash and burn? Is the perception that he's going to be a crash and burn make him a good target because he's going to do it again? What do you think about Dominic Brown? You know, I think the thing to be careful about with Dominic Brown, Dominic Brown had some injury problems in the second half last year, but you take that first half when he played consistently every day, 21 home runs, 57 RBIs, 274 batting average. Do you want to just double that and assume here's a guy who can hit 40 home runs, over 100 RBIs? You know, I think with Dominic Brown, you say, no, maybe not. You want to be kind of careful. Certainly he had some injury problems in the second half, but only hit six home runs at 193 at-bats. Um, and the, the, the thing to watch out for with Dominic Brown, an XCRA, an X, expected batting average of 2.62, um, power index of only 93 in the second half, uh, and a, a home run per fly rate in the first half of 25%. That's what produced all those home runs. That dropped down to 11% in the second half, and things looked like they were more normalized. So I'd be careful with Dominic Brown. Uh, here's a guy who's certainly at, at age. The other thing he's got going for him at the draft table this year is age 26 with experience. You know, that, that adage is there, and, that, and that's where he is. But I would not overpay for Dominic Brown. Uh, certainly I think he'll have a solid year. Uh, I don't think he's uh, a guy you want to spend a whole lot of money on in terms of going uh, going overboard. We're projecting about a $17 season. $16, $17 season, I would think that's about right. It feels about right, but then I get back to, to the Clayton Kershaw example where you're looking at a guy that, you know, you can be pretty comfortable with that 16 or $17 projection, but then in the back of your mind, you have to keep in mind last year, 25 bucks, which means that there is some upside here and some downside, so I guess it all comes down to your risk tolerance. It probably does. You know, you go back to Kershaw, probably there's more upside than downside. With Brown, I would guess you're about 50-50 either way. It uh, could be some upside, or this guy could crash and burn and go back to what he was doing in 2012 when he had five home runs and hit 235. So uh, I think probably the word for Dominic Brown at this point is expect some regression. Uh, a good season, but probably not what he did last year. Uh, I would agree with you on that because of the decline we saw in the second half, but you did mention the injuries. And if we attribute some or most of the decline in the second half to the injuries in the second half, then maybe there's still room for Dominic Brown to bounce back and have another $25 season. Or if he stays healthy the whole time, gosh, maybe there is a 40 home run upside. Uh, Finally, Nick, in Atlanta, Alex Wood looked pretty good last year when they moved him into the rotation, I think, in in late June and someplace around there. And it looks like he's good for a rotation spot this year as well. But, boy, did he tail off in September. And how concerned should we be about that? 
I, I don't think we need to be too concerned about that. I mean, September was a, a difficult month for Alex Woody. Had a 6.91 ERA, and and everything kind of went uh, went to hell in a handbasket in the in the in the last month of the season. But at 23 years old, probably some. You know what? What you worry about? Let me back up here. What you worry about is was that was that September a matter of batters catching up with him, or was it a matter of fatigue? And it's really hard to tell. But my guess is we're looking at fatigue. His control uh, rose from 2.7 in August to 4.4 in September. His dominance dropped from 8.4 to 6.9. Probably fatigue. Uh, hopefully, there's not a hidden injury there, which of course could be a could be an issue. But more likely, I think just a fatigue factor with a young guy pitching a whole lot of innings. Uh, and finally fading down the stretch, but he was he was outstanding through June, July, and uh, and incredible in August when he had a uh, a 0.9 ERA, a 0.97 WHIP. So I think here's a guy that uh, with a, a rotation spot seemingly guaranteed uh, is worth putting on your radar. And something I like about uh, this situation for Alex Wood is I'm a big believer in trusting the organization, and Atlanta has proved year in and year out that they are really good at figuring out which pitchers they need to keep and and promote and nurture and which ones they need to get rid of and so anytime that they say we're gonna we're gonna throw in our lot with a guy like Alex Wood I'm gonna sit up and listen more than I would if I heard the same thing coming from Houston or Kansas City or someplace like that yeah I definitely agree with you on that I mean uh, uh, Atlanta has a track record of developing good pitchers of uh having young guys sort of come out of nowhere and doing very well with them. So I agree with you. Our forecast at Baseball HQ for Alex Wood is a 8 or $9 season, depending on your format. Only about eight wins, but a good number of strikeouts. Uh, Nick, thanks very much for doing this. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time, and welcome back. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Good, good to be back. Good to get the season kicked off. That's Harold Nichols, our National League beat reporter here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn over to the American League and our beat reporter, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks, PD, and congratulations to you on your very recent uh, Fan Sports Writers Association Award for Best Podcast in the Field. I know you put a lot of effort into this radio show, and the honor is more than well-deserved. Congrats, my man. Well, as I said on my Facebook post about it, Jock, uh, the credit goes to to uh, Nick and you and Rob Gordon and uh, Ron Chandler and all the people who put in uh, so much effort to make the show happen. Our guests, uh, it's a it's a terrific experience to do it, and I'm really happy for everybody involved with Baseball HQ Radio, so thanks. Uh, a big part of that, of course, our crack minor league staff. Uh, they've just published their 2014 Top 100 Prospect list, and you can get that at BaseballHQ.com if you're a subscriber. And uh, at the same time, Jock, you released your undervalued Keeper League column for American League outfielders, and there's a name that stands out on both lists. Minnesota outfielder Byron Buxton is the number one prospect in baseball and could be undervalued, you say. What, what, what are you thinking there? Well, it's all about context, PD, and let's be very clear. Buxton is, is pretty much the consensus number one prospect in baseball. There's not going to be any debate between lists this year. He's a real athlete with an entire five-tool package. He's got a 9A ranking from our minor league analysts. He just turned 20 a few weeks ago after spending the uh, 2013 season between A and A+, putting together some really impressive numbers. What currently stands out are his speed. He stole 55 bases with a tick below 75% success rate and outstanding plate patience as seen in a 14% walk rate. He's likely going to begin the year to 2014 at AA and, and at very best see the majors in late August or September and, and perhaps not at all in 2014. And therein lies the issue for those of us in keeper and dynasty leagues. Um, Buck, Buxton is already rostered in most leagues and probably should demand a significant price for any owner interested in dealing for him. But if his current owner is battling for a championship now, what better trade bait to use for major league ready talent than an unhelpful, unproven minor leaguer like Buxton? Um, and, and here's the thing. Buxton's two most mature skills, particularly speed that doesn't sleep, suggest a rapid MLB transition. He's going to be profitable pretty quickly when he makes the jump, and his upside is such that I'd really never consider dealing him right now. And I do own him in one of these formats. But some Buxton owners who are competing may not look at it this way. Well, first let me make clear, uh, Baseball HQ's minor league ratings, you said he's a 9A ranking. A 9 is a consistent all-star, and the A means extremely likely to attain that ceiling. So a 9A ranking is a pretty rare thing. It's kind of Mike Trout, uh, Bryce Harper country. And uh, so 
Buxton is definitely a guy that has an extremely high upside. But I'm curious what you say, Jock. Even the highest-rated guys sometimes don't succeed. And if you were, say, one player away, a good value player away in a keeper league, and somebody came to you and said, Jock, I see you've got Byron Buxton. I'll give you, uh, I'll give you Mike Trout. I've got him for twenty-one dollars. Well, the funny thing about that is I also own Mike Trout in that league, so it's probably not a very good example. <laughs> but um, I see where you're coming from, PD, and, and, and context is definitely everything. Um, yeah, you, you, you have to take a look at a deal like that. On the other hand, when you're dealing, when you're playing in keeper and dynasty leagues, you, you, you also lose out on the chance of, of owning a consistent high upside player like Buxton for the rest of his natural career. Um, you really got to think twice before you do that. On the other hand, flags fly forever. As you say, it's a it is a context issue. Uh, I had a, a column last year. You may remember about uh, how few even top level prospects actually ever earn their keep as fantasy players. So keep that in mind. At the other end of the spectrum, Jock, you listed Houston outfielder L.J. Hose as an outfielder sleeper in your keeper league column. What do you like about Hose? Well, Hose is a guy we don't even have projected for regular playing time, um, but. Uh, in deep leagues, he's one of those overlooked low ceiling guys that has a chance to be valuable. He's he's always been very selective at the plate. He has good patience. He's always hit for high average in the minors. He plays good defense. Um, he has plush speed, and while he's not a polished base runner, he has enough skill to t- swipe 20 bags if he gets the playing time. And And there's context here, too. On a team like Houston that has a lot of swing and miss in their lineup and all kinds of outfield opportunity, um, if they struggle to find table setters and guys who can score runs, Hose may be very valuable this year. He's not an all-star. Like I said, his ceiling is low, but he's interesting nonetheless. And I, I think one of the things you said, Jock, that's important for people to realize is he plays good defense. And a lot of times, especially on struggling teams, good defense will get you into the lineup. I mean, you've got to bat your way in there. But once if you can handle the, the defensive responsibilities, you're, you have, you're giving your manager another reason to leave you in the lineup and, and allow you to amass that playing time. Uh, speaking of Houston outfielders, Dan Becker's elite speed primer column this past week mentioned another Houston outfielder as a potential bag source. Dexter Fowler moves over from Colorado in an offseason move. What do you think of Dexter Fowler? Well, along with most people, I'm, I'm pretty down on Fowler's move out of Coors Field. He's been a, a typical Coors Field hitter now for a while. He, uh, I think he hit 214 on the road last year. But Dan brings up a real interesting point in his piece that, that Fowler does have very good patience and terrific speed. If some of his power is being sapped in the move and if he struggles with his batting average as expected, it's real possible that Houston could give him the green light more often in order to generate offense. The, the problem that you have is Fowler's stolen base percentage. His best effort was back in his rookie year three or four years ago. He, he stole 27 bases at a 73% success rate. And since then, his best effort was last year when he stole 19 bases, but he was caught nine times, which just isn't going to cut it. I still think he's a risky play to the, to the batting average downside, but there might be some stolen base opportunity in Houston if you can buy him low. Yeah, that again, that's always the that's always the trick, isn't it? That you've got to figure out a way to to uh, contextualize this guy at at twenty dollars, probably not worth it. But at three dollars, if you're sitting around your draft table and and that name pops up, you have to say to yourself. Man, this is somebody who's got, you know, 20, 25 bag upside. I'm willing to gamble three or four bucks. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Because you can, you can waste the three, or, the three or four bucks. If it doesn't turn out, it's not going to hurt you. But the upside from that is, is pretty interesting. Fowler has 13 games played in Houston Minute Maid Park. He's got uh, 51 plate appearances, 37 at-bats. He's only hit 189 for his career there, but he has a 388 on on-base percentage, the result of drawing a ton of walks, 11 walks. A uh, little trouble with the slugging, only three doubles in that time, no triples or home runs. So it's not a real outstanding record for Dexter Fowler in Houston. But Minute Maid Park does play pretty good for hitters. It's not like he's been moved to, say, Detroit. No, you're right. And, and, and Houston does have a nice short left field porch. Um, I don't think pow, uh, uh, Fowler's power is going to be sapped that much. But then again, he's not a huge home run hitter. He's going to get you double-digit home runs. Where he's really going to miss Colorado is the wide expanses in the outfield that help his batting average. And also give him a little bit of defensive value. Got to have the good wheels out, out there, as we talked about earlier when we were talking about L.J. Hose, that speed applies not only on the base paths, 
but in the field as well. Let's stay in the American League West. Uh, Jock, in Tuesday's playing time today, Texas team analyst Rod Truesdell talked about Derek Holland. And, of course, Derek Holland's had off-season surgery because of a fluke kind of thing. And now we have to look at replacement candidates for maybe half a year or more of Derek Holland's rotation slot. You're going to be uh, on about the American League West in playing time tomorrow. What's your take there? Well, it's been reported Holland tripped over his dog while running up the stairs at his home, and the upshot was was microfracture surgery on his knee that projects to keep him out until as late as the All-Star break. And this is a huge loss for the Rangers because while Hollins was by no means a great pitcher, he was a very reliable number three, number four guy who could eat innings. Um, and, and Texas already has pitching questions. Uh, you, 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 they don't know when Colby Lewis will return. He had elbow surgery last year and hip spurs at the end of the season. Matt Harrison is coming back from back surgery. You've got Alexi Agondo, who's whose seeming inability to hold up as a starting pitcher keeps him yo-yoing between the bullpen and uh, and the rotation. Robbie Ross and Nick Tepish are options, but I, I think John Daniels is going to look for help via trade route on the free agent picking or on the free agent picking, pitching market that hasn't really opened up yet. That's an interesting situation to watch. And of course, though, Texas has been playing it kind of close to the chest on Masahiro Tanaka. There's a lot of reports that say that they were in on him even before the situation arose with Derek Holland, and now they seem to have all the more incentive to try to make a deal and have uh, Darvish and uh, Masahiro Tanaka 1-2 in their rotation this year. Do you think that's going to happen, likely to happen at least? Well, it's going to be interesting because obviously Clayton Kershaw's new extension has blown everything out of the water in terms of pitching contracts. Uh, the sky is the limit. And already we're, we're, we're hearing talk of a lot of teams chasing Tanaka, including the Yankees, the, the Cubs, the Dodgers, the uh, maybe even the Angels. Um, Texas is going to have to pony up a pretty hefty sum to sign Tanaka, as will anybody. And let's face it, uh, um, Tanaka is essentially a free agent, unlike his countryman, New Darvish, who didn't have any choice but to sign with Texas. A lot of starting pitchers don't like pitching in Texas due to the heat, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if that translates over. Yeah, at the same time, though, Texas, I, when we talk about Texas's money situation, they've got a huge regional sports network contract coming into play, which is going to give them a lot of money, not Los Angeles money, but a lot of money. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch because Texas, I'm sure, has championship aspirations. And uh, without some shoring up of the rotation, this Derek Holland news has certainly put them in a tough spot, and they've got to do something. Of course, there's also guys like Matt Garza, who spent some time down there already, and you've got uh, Ubaldo Jimenez and uh, the other kind of second-tier free agent pitchers out there as well. So Texas's rotation still a, a work in progress, and it's going to be really interesting. And finally, Jock, in our uh, NFBC column space, uh, guest columnist Greg Ambrosius, who runs the National Fantasy Baseball Championship, does a great job of it too. He wrote a piece on Jose Abreu, another newcomer from outside the country, from Cuba, of course. He's going to be playing first base in Chicago for the White Sox. Well, obviously, that's a tough one for those of us who've only seen Abreu through through uh, a little bit of film footage. Um, it's real difficult as an analyst to, to look at the numbers and project a major league performance. But I'm kind of with Greg here. Um, the scouting has gotten a lot better in years. Most of the scouts love his power. He's playing in a terrific venue in U.S. Cellular. It's it's not going to be like he's frustrated in, in not being able to hit home runs there and he tries to adjust his swing. Um, I'm going after Abreu. It's real tough to find power. I think he's going to generate it in Chicago. Um, I, I would be bidding him up. I would be drafting him real early or in a, in a keeper league trying to deal for him. Yeah, I... I... Agree with you, although I'm not going to go way out there. You know, you you hope that he's another Yaziel Puig, but then you, on the other hand, have concerns that some of these guys have struggled a little bit because of the culture change and all of that kind of thing. So I'm going to temper my bets, but I'm going to go fairly high on Jose Abreu as a home run hitter. I wouldn't be surprised to see him hit 30 to 35 out there, which I think puts me on the high end of most of the projections. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think I think twenty is a minimum, but uh, yeah, and you've got very valid points. Uh, the the culture shock of coming over here is is always something that uh, that Cuban imports and even other players have to deal with, and uh, you never quite know. Um, it's a gamble, but uh, it's a gamble that I certainly want to be in a position to take. 
and maybe he'll just blow off steam with a little innocent 110-mile-an-hour speeding. Yeah, well, hopefully the White Sox have the good sense to hire a driver for him. Certainly, uh, he could probably afford to hire a driver for himself. Uh, Jock, thanks very much for joining us. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Okay, PD, thanks a lot. Jock Thompson writes many different columns at BaseballHQ.com, and he's here every week as our American League beat reporter. When we come back, our regular Talk with Todd with Todd Zola next on Baseball HQ Radio. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. He threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass, threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick David here with... Todd Zola from BaseballHQ.com, ESPN.com, FantasyAlarm.com, as we're going to hear, MastersBall.com. Busiest guy in the fantasy baseball business, perhaps, and an award winner. Todd, congratulations. Best web article at the Fantasy Sports Trade Association ceremony just the other night. Thank you. And uh, speaking of which, I understand that uh, you won an award yourself. So, so mucho gracias. Congratulations on the podcast of the year, the initial podcast of the year award. I think that's even more special that you are, you're going to be the, you never can lose that. You're the first ever winner of the podcast of the year. I have to tell you, I did not know that. I thought it had been going for a couple of years, but uh, grateful for the kind words. And of course, Todd uh, played such a critical role in making this podcast what it is. Uh, let's start by talking about your column at fantasyalarm.com. Guys can go check that out about Bryce Harper and how, considering where he's going in most uh, straight draft formats and the end of the first, uh, early in the second, you're saying probably not for you. What I wanted to find out is what am I missing? Because uh, we just we talked to the, the, the FSTA. He just went seventh in a draft we did the other night in the FSTA draft, and I wanted to figure out what I was missing, and I was trying to think of a way to go about you know, being objective about it and not and not just, you know, sort of just the name and, and he's a kid and all that sort of stuff. So what I decided to do was his he's going around 15th or so on the average in a lot of early drafts and mocks and such. So I figured out the composite 
expectation of a, of the 15th ranked player, 15th ranked hitter, I should say. Um, we won't get too detailed, but I didn't worry about catchers because their stats are brought a little bit low. The, their stats, you know, you might bump a catcher up a little bit. So sure. I, 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 you know, I took the average projected stats of say, the 12th to the 17th player, um, and 12th to 18th, and figured out, you know, if that those about the stats, if you were ranked 15th, what you would need to obtain. And I, I took a look at what I thought Harper was going to get, and is there a, was there a plausible a plausible avenue for him to obtain those composite stats? You know, of course, you know some hitters are going to get more homers and steals and vice versa. But by doing the average, it kind of balances it out. And the good thing for this comparison is Harper's kind of a a little bit across the board player. So it wasn't like I was comparing a guy, you know, Giancarlo Stanton, who, who may not have been as easy a comparison because he's all homers. Uh, so that was sort of the the general. The way I was going to try to solve the problem, and um, what I found was Harper wasn't—he—he wouldn't—he didn't match my numbers for that. You know, he fell well below, and I have him ranked below. But there, there's a plausible way that he could have—you know—he could be worthy of that 15 spot if a couple more homers, and if he raises his his, his batting average with uh, runners in scoring position, which we know is just sort of a, a variable from year to year. Although I don't know if the OBP in front of him is going to be any bit better, right. uh, and, and batting average is a little bit fluky, so it, it's not one of those pie in the sky, you know, stars have to align situations. Uh, I don't. It's 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 a expectation. It's not the most reasonable expectation. I can see why someone would take him at that spot. Um, I'm not going to be the one to do it because the other caveat is the whole playing time thing. Um, it was sort of ironic that, uh, not ironic, but coincidental that I projected him for the exact amount of playing time that the composite player would get at that spot. But there's still a little bit of upside if he plays a little bit more, which will add to his numbers. So really it's a bet on playing time. If you think he's going to play a full season, he's probably worth that spot, but I don't know that I'm willing to take that risk. Just so our listeners can understand, the composite average that you came up with, which, by the way, did not include Bryce Harper, uh, you had 568 at-bats. Uh, you had Bryce Harper at 562, as you mentioned, pretty much a wash. Home runs, 26 to 25, so Harper's a, a home run or two from being at that level. Runs scored was pretty close, 88 to 93. Uh, stolen bases, Harper 17, the average guy 15. So he's pretty good across those measures, but RBIs, 67 to 92. That's a problem for Bryce Harper partly because of the on-base percentage of in the lineup, as you mentioned. And then batting average, he was 21 points shy of the 295 your composite guy posted. Now, I understand this idea of the composite player looks really like a good way of going about planning for this, and you have a column coming out in more detail at Baseball HQ coming up, right? Right. and um, it, Yeah, exactly. And that, what that column is going to sort of describe, too, is like what if I, what if I was trying to figure out if Stanton – was worthy of that spot. How could I correlate his production to the composite player in the in terms of you know, home runs plus steals and RBIs plus runs, and how do you adjust for a different batting average? To me, it's it's it's, it's a way to when you're going through a draft, it's just it's sort of another way to think about things, focus, and, and you're not just looking at a, a ranking or a dollar value. You're looking at and then. It, Upside, downside, risk, you know, how could, you know, you ask your question, can he, you know, this is what I think he's going to get, but can he get this? I don't think we sort of ask ourselves that question in a draft or in an auction. Sometimes we just get so focused on a number or on a ranking, and if, it, if, it's, if it's not, you know, if it's too higher or lower, you know, if it's much better, we take the guy, if it's, you know, things like that without really contextualizing it, and I think it, it, it puts it in a little bit better context if you're actually comparing it to something real. I also noticed when you were writing about Bryce Harper with this composite player in mind, there's an element in your thinking about the risk involved with taking a guy, especially in those in those early rounds with those top picks, and you have to be pretty comfortable that you're getting something that you intend to get. Yeah, um, you know, the whole, you know, be safe early, take chances later sort of thing, you know, versus the, you know, the the... the, the you know, taking the big risks and, and, and just going for it all because no one cares about second place. I still want to be 
a little bit safe early because it, uh, there's still enough, especially this early in the year, there's still enough unknown that you could take your chances later. But I still want to build a solid foundation early. And, you know, all right, so I got burned last year by passing on Mike Trout at the number two spot and taking Ryan Braun in a, in a, in a draft I did um, because I needed to see Trout do it again. Um, I'm not going to say I learned my lesson because he did it again because it's one isolated example. There's far more examples where the guy didn't do it again, and it was the right decision. So I'm still in the mode where, you know, Missouri, whatever you call it, show me state. Yeah. Uh, and and more, like I said, with Bryce Harper, he's going to show me he can stay healthy almost more than anything else. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Todd Zola, FSTA award-winning author at various websites, best web article of the year. Todd, I, I know you've uh, been interested about the way and the frequency with which p- pitchers are going higher than ever. It's been showing up over the last couple of years in the NFBC and other drafts like that, and now the Experts League seem to be catching up, and it happened this year at the FSTA draft. Yeah, the sort of the talk of the draft was that you know this this draft this this room this board uh was pitching you could wait and so there were always a few people that waited it wasn't so much you could wait but there was always a few people that did wait and what i you know found in this particular draft was pitching went a little bit earlier and whether it was an adjustment or not the 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 latest the pitcher was taken in this draft was round 8 that was when their first pitcher was taken there there have been times in this particular FSTA league where it's been the 10th or 11th round that the first pitcher was taken. Um, and whether it was because pitching flew off the board earlier uh, than, than the past and they just had to adjust and they realized that you can no longer build a staff by waiting that long, or if it was just the you know circumstances of the, the guys that were taken or whatever. But everybody was talking about how you know, I don't know how many times I, you know, just talking about the draft and walking around. I, like, I never take a picture that early, but I, you know, way I felt I had to take this or I had to take that. And I think, you know, sometimes the sometimes the leaders are, are slow to catch up to what's actually happening out there. Um, the, the the room caught up, I think, anyway. And pitching, you know, I don't want to say where it went, where it was supposed to, but pitching went a little bit earlier than it has in years past. Have to ask, where did Clayton Kershaw go? Clayton Kershaw was. This is this is a thirteen team league, so we have to recalibrate. Because I'm not sure we all are playing in thirteen team leagues, but he went to number eleven overall. Now, as a comparison, now the NFBC is really the only game in town right now as far as consistent drafts to compare against. He's going five, six, and seven. As we, you know, we once you get past the the the, the, the top hitters, he's on the board for a lot of people in the four, five, six, seven spot. I think his ADP is five. Um, he went 11 in this draft. And how does that compare with where he's gone in uh, drafts in the past? Usually there'll be somebody that'll take Clayton Kershaw because he separates himself from the pack. Um, but, you know, th- this year actually it, it began to look the same way because the second round was devoid of a pitcher. But then the third round had had five pitchers taken and the fourth round had another another six pitchers taken. So, uh, once I think they, we only play chicken for one round, and once pitchers started going in the third and the fourth, I think people realized they weren't going to be able to wait a whole lot longer to to get their their first staff, uh, first guy to the staff because a couple teams took two pitchers in the first five picks, which you know which puts even more of a wow. of a need for you to go down and uh, and and actually the Kershaw we you know we we call it the Pedro plan or now the Santana plan. On the HQ forums, where sure. you draft a, a stud, and then you know you build around him. I think I don't know that I necessarily agree with that way of doing things. I think if you're going to invest in Clayton Kershaw, you've got to give him some help. I mean, you, you you need you almost have to commit your team to having more pitching points than hitting points because I don't think you can you know I don't think you can, I don't think you I don't think you draft Kershaw and then draft a bunch of slugs around him and try to you know I think you have to give him a little help and the. In the this team did. They drafted Jose Fernandez in the fourth, so they've committed two of their top four picks to uh, to pitching. So, the idea of that this is a bad idea has always been that if you do that, by the time you start filling up your hitting roster, you're dealing with with hitters who can't keep you up with the rest of the league. And of course, that's the balance you're always looking at. But I know you have a a, a bit of a theory, Todd, that 
the pitch, the hitting, I should say, is starting to even out. There are more players in that middle tier that maybe encourage you to think that you can you can fill up on decent hitters by waiting a little longer, which allows you the luxury of going after two pitchers in the first four or five rounds. Right now, you know, we'll you know it's, it's, it's an HQ podcast, so we'll go we'll go we'll harken back to the Lima plan. Everybody thinks of the Lima plan as being a plan, a, a plan to for your pitching staff. I think it was really a, a disguised way to, to build your hitting. The idea of the Lima plan was to save your money so you could really just be the bully, whether at the draft table or the auction table, and just get more hitting than anybody else because you had more resources to put towards hitting. Um, even if you do this, even if you do that this year, if you put the same resources either in auction dollars or draft picks for hitting, the player pool is, is such that the, the top of the pool doesn't have the, the separation that it did in previous seasons. You can't build the advantage that you could build. You know, I mean, you know, air quote because who knows what's going to actually happen. The on paper advantage that you could build in previous seasons by really focusing on the hitting. And it's, you know, it's a fixed zero-sum economy. Um, that, that value or that dollars have to go somewhere. It goes to the middle. It bunches it in the middle. So it, it, you can make it up by, once you get to that middle, you know, it's, now it's sort of a, it, it's almost a challenge. There's, you know, a whole bunch of players that are, that are, that are, that are, that are very close as far as on-paper value. If you know, if, you, if you're right, and get the one that's actually going to be the most valuable of that group. There, you can you you can make it up for your pitching. Um, so I think you do need to. Uh, you don't get that same advantage as far as waiting and and really bullying up the pitching and and being able to trade away the excess hitting or something like that. It's just not there. It seems to make sense when you look at it. If you have, you know, that the handful of hitters that used to be thirty plus dollar hitters has become an even smaller handful and there's more compression in the in the in the tiers below that while in pitching it seems to have gone at least a little bit in the other way where you now have not only Kershaw and Jose Fernandez but guys like Chris Sale there's there is a bit a bigger complement of very high quality pitchers maybe it makes sense to get a couple of them early and and then grab all those middle guys in the middle rounds for hitters well, the other aspect of it and I think I think you, we've got some people at HQ doing some research on this, and it's, 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 it's a common theme is that, and we've actually we've talked about it at the past few first pitch forums in the spring because it's been the case for a couple of years. If you sort of if you look at like groups of players and just you know label them as you know star pitchers or, or whatever, the past few years that tier, the upper tier, the top tier of pitching, is getting a best return of investment than any other. You know, grouping, you know, star hitters, speedy hitters, whatever subset of, of the inventory you want to name, the, in, the, the, the subset of elite pitchers is returning more of the investment. You get a, you know, even if, you bring, even if it's breaking even, it's, it's a good thing, which is the whole unreliability of pitching, be it injuries or whatnot. Um, so, you know, some, you, know you, want, you want to invest where it's safest, it's just not rare. That the safest is the best, you know. It's 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 kind of and it's it's hard to get your to to just understand to believe it, and then it's it's easy to believe it. It's a little harder to action to do your action on it. You know, okay, I, I, yeah, you're right. Ooh, I, so I guess it does make sense to draft Clayton Kershaw to actually do it. You know, it takes a little bit um, and not that much discipline, but uh, you know, belief and belief in the in the theory and in and, and doing it. Yeah, it's the age-old question of, you know, how how willing are you to fly in the face of what you've thought for your whole life when you're doing something, you know, every year every, somebody's always telling you, don't take a picture in your first round, don't take a picture in your first round, it's too risky, don't do it, don't do it, and you've you've internalized it to a certain extent. Then all of a sudden, research comes out, or you start seeing, you know, the experts leagues or the big dollar leagues, and people are changing that opinion and and succeeding by doing that it's still it's still a uh not maybe not necessarily a leap of faith but a, certainly a leap away from your own old faith right and then when you f- sort of factor in that we we have an artificial buffer in this whole thing in that even if it's if it's well definitely in auctions when we have our our, our money split we tend it towards hitting but if you were to somehow assign 
you know, a value or ranking to the where you pick players, it, 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 it tends toward hitting. What I'm trying to say is, you know, when you, if you were to do a real value at end of season value, you should be getting 50% of the allocated dollars to pitching, and we, we don't. We match it up, you know, because everybody wants to know how did he do compared to what I drafted him. But I'm, you know, trying to say is, pitchers actually earn more than we think they do because we don't properly, you know, do it according to the 50-50 split of, of allocation of right. dollars. So there's even a, a you know. A, I think it, it even makes it more, a more, of course, are more valuable. We we say he's a thirty-five dollar pitcher. He's really a fifty-two dollar pitcher if you were to do it properly, but we right. you know, we just don't think in those terms. And by do it properly, you mean you take Rotolab or whatever your uh, projections engine says for a hitter pitcher split. We usually set it around sixty-seven thirty-three, something like that, for risk reasons and for size of roster reasons, fourteen versus nine, and that kind of thing. And everybody settles on 67-33, but the fact is it's an even split of pitching categories except for saves, I guess. You could allow for that a little bit. But, uh, yeah, Clayton Kershaw could be more valuable to you than Miguel Cabrera. Right, yeah, but, but again, it, all I care about, you know, I, I paid 35 did he earn 35 So you need to, you know, just to keep it apples to apples. But, you know, he really, you know, helped your team, you know, towards you know, half, half of the stats are pitching. So, you know, it's just sort of another, if, if the most stable pitcher, if the most stable subset uh, is the top pitchers, to me, to me anyway, it's just another reason to to push over to do it because we've, we've been cheating what we call the value anyway. We've been cheating them out of some 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 proverbial value, not proverbial, but, 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 but abstract value. Uh, so now, you know, it makes me anyway want to give it to them even a little bit more. No, I, I didn't want, I wasn't the one that drafted Kershaw. I'm still... I'm still not going to draft Kershaw number one, but I'm also not going to be the last guy. You know, this this draft I got Chris Sale, uh, and he was the 12th pitcher off the board, which I was ecstatic because he's my he's in my top five. Um, we had the first pick, so meant this meant we were at the at the wheel in the four five, and that that was sort of you know we were gonna we thought our pitcher would fall to us or we, this is when we'd be taking. I say our because I'm teaming with Lar Michaels, a frequent guest of the show. Uh, we thought this is when a pitcher would fall to us, and uh, we, we sale had gone. We were not sure what we would have done because he was the last one in our tier um, that we were shooting for. I have to ask who who else is in that tier with Chris Sale. I, I I have Felix ranked higher, but he's going lower. But Adam Wainwright and Cliff Lee, uh, Darvish is a, is sort of a tweener. He's a little bit ahead this year. Justin Verlander is is presently in that tier. Um, Max Scherzer to a little extent. I mean, there's Kershaw, then there's maybe Darvish, and and maybe Scherzer, and then there's I don't want to if you call it one and one A, and then maybe the second tier. I, I have Cole. Well, Cole Hamels was still available too. I think he's going to be an interesting guy. Um, I think a lot of people that do happen to wait on pitching, um, they're going to you know they're going to be say hi. I got it right because I got Cole Hamels because he's just falling a little further than he should. He's the same guy he's always been. He just didn't get the wins, and his ERA was just a little bit unlucky. Um, so he's a guy that I know I'm going to have for a few shares in just because, um, at least right now, he's falling because people are seeing that ERA and the wins. Uh, but, you know, if you, if you on your in a, on your personal rankings, whoever you have between, say, 3 and 10 would be, I, I want one of those guys, Adam Wainwright, something like that, right. uh, David Price to anchor my staff. And you said you got first pick overall, uh, let me guess, Cabrera or Trout? We uh we took Mike Trout. I, I read a, I read an article I think it was a year ago that gave me twelve reasons why I shouldn't. <laughs> um, but that was last year, and I actually would not have taken Mike Trout. And I talked to Ron a little about this at the at the at the at the actual conference. Ron was in the draft with with Brent uh, Brent Hershey. Um, so we talked a little about this, and we both Ron's Ron agreed too. He would have taken the number one. I don't want to any spoilers here. But he, he he said if was he had the number one he would have taken Trout as well this year. I needed to see it. I saw it, and if the guy goes twenty twenty eighty as we've talked about, you know eighty runs RBIs and, and hits two eighty, he's still better than uh, two thirds of the first round because there's only only about thirty three or thirty five you know in this round in this draft this draft four or five guys are going to live up to their expectations in the first right. round. That's what history teaches us. Right. So even if he has a terrible year and only gets 20 homers and 20 RBIs, we're still, as far as first round goes, have the sixth best player. So we'll take that. 
Yeah, it seems like a pretty safe bet, and with that number one pick, you just can't afford to gamble. And he's a looks like a very durable player, which is uh, not to be uh, forgotten, especially when you look at Miguel Cabrera as the as the other sort of obvious choice for that overall top pick. Not getting any younger, not getting any smaller. Uh, it seems like there could be a bit of an injury risk, maybe ameliorated somewhat by his move to first base. Yeah, exactly. I was just about to say that the, the whole narrative. It, you know, it, it, it loses just a little bit because you can put, not only that, you know, they can put him at DH, you can even, with Victor Martinez as their DH, you can even put Victor at first and put Miguel at DH and have the same two bats in the lineup. Yep. So the, the whole, it's, I still have a concern, obviously, which is why I took Trout first, but it's, you know, the, the naysayers can say, oh, well, he's going to first, I'm not as worried. And it, it's true, but I'm still a little bit worried. Todd Zola, thanks very much for doing this. Congratulations again on your uh, web article of the year award at the FSTA, and we'll catch up with you again all throughout the season here at Baseball HQ Radio. I'm honored to be a guest on the podcast of the year. (laughs) Okay, thanks very much. Uh, That's Todd Zola, works for BaseballHQ.com, ESPN.com, MastersBall.com, and a lot of other places, and is also an FSTA award winner for the best web article of the year in fantasy baseball. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for January the 17th. Thanks again for downloading and listening to show number two of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank everyone who helped make Baseball HQ Radio the Fantasy Sports Podcast of the Year as voted by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association. That list starts with our three commentators today, Harold Nichols, Jock Thompson, and Todd Zola, himself an FSTA award winner for the Best Fantasy Baseball Web Article. Our list of people who deserve a share of the credit for our award also includes BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst Rob Gordon, who appeared both as a feature guest and delivering our weekly minor league minute, one of our most popular segments. Ryan Bloomfield did a great job with our weekly matchup segment. Ray Murphy supported the show behind the scenes and was a frequent guest as well. Ron Chandler helped get the show started and supported it wholeheartedly throughout its run plus all our feature guests throughout the year from InsideBaseballHQ.com and outside, all of whom brought wisdom, insight, and fun to our show. Thanks as well to you for listening, sending comments, and giving us star ratings on iTunes. And finally, to my wife, Lisa, who puts up with me spending a few hours every week producing the show. You'll hear her voice in just a few seconds with our disclaimer, I get to hear it every day, and I'm the better for it. We'll be back again next week with another edition of... I'm going to say it one more time. The best fantasy sports podcast in the business. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.